for the last few weeks that we've been together, I think this would be week four, we have been considering what I've called the nuts and bolts of a philosophy of ministry. And I'm introducing this to you as a philosophy of ministry. My hope is that at the end of all this, this might be our philosophy of ministry that we share together and co-labor in. And so far, uh, I've introduced a purpose of ministry that is quite simply to reach, nurture, and equip God's people for God's worship and service in God's world. I think that's a pretty good summary of something to aim for in the way of ministry purpose. Now this morning, we're going to change gears a little bit, and we're going to begin to talk about goals of ministry. What the goals of that purpose should be, can be, would be, according to Scripture. And I want this to be helpful. I want this to, you know, I suppose during the week when I'm preparing these sermons... I think a little idealistically that, that there would be these aha moments as we hear these sermons of, oh, I see why we do what we do. This makes sense that we would work together or put resources towards the things that we do. And, and so my hope is that we might have those aha experiences. You know what I mean by aha experience, right? Aha! I see why we're doing what we're doing. And so this morning is an, introdu an introduction of what I'll call goal number one. And goal number one is that we might know Christ. That all of us, everyone who is a member at GPC, that we would really and truly, whether children or adults, know and grow in our knowledge of knowing who Jesus is. Another word for that is conversion that we would really be converted, so that we would be a people who know Christ. So before we get into this, and before I read the text, I realize we've got people from all kinds of backgrounds in, in employment and in the world and in the workforce. And so when I say goals, that the church has goals, you might in your immediate instinct think, oh, well, wait a minute. Is this church as a business? Are our goals things like we seek to have X number of members by X year? Or that we want to have uh, an enlarged footprint of our facility and add buildings and square footage that we have to heat and air condition? Those are not the kind of goals. Those might be business goals, corporate goals. So the kind of goals you're going to hear from Scripture about the church very different goals. So if you have any aversion to the thought of the church having goals, put that aside until you hear what the three goals and additional goal areas are. And I trust it will be an aha experience. I really trust it will be an aha experience. So give your attention to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And hear what is said about knowing Christ. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage 
that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray that God would bless our understanding and our living of His Word. Father in heaven, would you open our spiritually closed eyes? Would you soften our spiritually hard hearts? And would you unstop our spiritually deaf ears that we might truly know Christ, the righteousness that comes by faith in Him, the fellowship of participating in His suffering. Oh, and the power of His resurrection. We ask this and pray it for the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Knowing someone and knowing about someone, those are two very different things, aren't they? Really knowing someone and knowing about someone. So years ago, I was speaking on this subject and the illustration that worked then, which is now probably outdated, our younger people may not recognize this name, but it was in 2003 where there was a TV character named Martha Stewart. Remember Martha Stewart? Oh, she was so sweet. She would be on the television and she would teach how to uh, make cookies and cakes and just, you know, all the kitchen delicious things. And I just remember she always wore pastel colors, light blue and pink. Hair was always pretty and well kept. And she had the sweetest image. And then do you remember what happened? there was a little scandal inside of the Martha Stewart network where the people who worked under her and for her began to leak stories about what they called the real Martha Stewart. And so a few years later, they actually made a movie on NBC, and it was, it was about Martha Stewart. And these are the things that were portrayed. It said in the movie that she was a fire-breathing tyrant who built and ruled her domestic arts empire on intimidation and manic energy. And there was this aha moment for people like, whoa, she's not who we all saw. She's not what we thought. And so all the employees said, knowing Martha Stewart, and knowing about Martha Stewart are two very different things. And the same could be tread, uh, said of, of so many. I'm not picking on Martha Stewart. Some of you are Martha Stewart fans. Yay, Martha Stewart. I'm a Martha Stewart fan too. 
Uh, the same could be said, I think a similar story broke recently, a more up-to-date illustration would be Ellen DeGeneres. Same kind of thing happened there. Or let's go inside the church. Pastor Mark Driscoll. Some of you have listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And so we see something common about humanity. The point I want to assert is knowing someone, really knowing someone, and knowing about someone, little bits, little pieces of information, those are two different things. And I highlight that because that is what is proving true with the Apostle Paul and in the teaching of the Scriptures. Knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus, two very different things. Very different things. In the Bible Belt in the Southeast, people know a lot about Jesus. Some people have been in Sunday school all their life. Some people have taken classes and read books, and they know a lot about Jesus. But this morning, I want to make it clear that knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus are two very, very different things. And that's what I hope to flesh out as a goal for our church. We don't want people to just know a lot about Him. We want people to genuinely know Him and to become like Him and to serve Him. That's what should be unique about the Christian church. Not that we know about Jesus or know about the Bible or that we know about God, but that we truly, really, sincerely know and believe. So I have three simple points this morning. And that is what it means to know Christ, what it means to lose all things for it, but what it means to be found in Him in the end. Those are the three things that Paul seems to highlight, and I'll highlight those as well. Uh, the larger context of Philippians 3, which I'm not reading for the sake of our time frame, but if you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, I've read verses 8 through 11, but the beginning is talking about the larger context of what Paul is speaking to. And that is that the Judaizers those who were pressing with zeal, obedience to the law of God, the Judaizers were asserting what we would call self-salvation. Obedience through keeping the law. Obedience by your own works, we would say. So that's the context to which Paul is saying. And Paul will go on to say, they don't know Christ. They know what it is to, in a human way, try to obey the law and to pat themselves on the back for it. And so the Judaizers is no, are known as those who were pressing obedience to the law, trying to save themselves, their own salvation, salvation by self and by, by obedience. And what you're going to see is this resonated with the Apostle Paul because that's exactly who he had been. He understood their language, he understood their way, and he had been the chief of them all, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And so you're getting the passion of the Apostle Paul as he speaks to a subject of a person of who he used to be and now a converted person who genuinely knew Christ. He wants to see those who know the Lord truly know the Lord and not just know about Him. So first, to know Christ. Listen again to what Paul says in the first part of 8. 
I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Paul, to understand what's going on in the larger story, Paul is talking about his conversion. And we actually preached on this passage back in the fall when we were looking at the church according to Scripture and when we were in the book of Acts and when I used to preach over there on that side of the church, if you remember those days. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, go read that later today and you'll hear Paul's summary of who he was and how Christ approached him individually and converted him. Through a a miraculous, mysterious means, he converted Paul to faith in Christ. But the real question for us to ask is, okay, that's Paul's conversion. What about your conversion? What about how you have moved from all your trust, all your expertise, all your ability to pat yourself on the back for who you are, how you have left that and now profess Christ and Christ alone. Do you have that story of your conversion of really knowing Christ? Not knowing about Him, but actually knowing Him. Now listen to what Jesus Himself says of this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then catch this, listen. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Look at all the religious things we did. We were serious about our faith. We had zeal. We were Judaizers of a sort. But Jesus' response, this is key. What does he say? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus are two very different things. Religious activity, lots of religious activity, successful religious activity, driving out demons. Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. So that's why knowing Jesus would be worthy of a goal for a church and for its membership. That we don't just know about Jesus, but that we truly know him. We know him through his word and by his spirit. To know about Jesus, to know Jesus, they are two very different things. I've shared with you before, and you know this story probably from history, but the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, you know those names, you know those hymns. We sing some of their hymns in the church. Let me remind you of their story. They were the sons of an Anglican bishop, one who was committed to the ministry of the church, and they had a devout Christian mother. These two sons, which by the way would make them what? Covenant children. Years into their life, in their 20s, these boys decide to go to seminary. They want to serve the Lord. 
they have a zeal about their faith. And so they both go to seminary, not at the same time, but a few years in between. They're both serving in ministry. And one is on a ship coming over to Georgia with Oglethorpe. And he feels like nothing is happening spiritually. His ministry feels fruitless. He feels like there is no life. There's nothing. It just doesn't feel real. And he remembered that in his seminary days, in his great zeal for the Lord, they had started something called a holy club. And this is where the term Methodist comes from. They were devout about reading scripture, about praying, about serving. And they called it a holy club. Let's all come to the holy club. Doesn't that sound like a great small group? We're going to start a holy club at GPC. Doesn't sound like something a lot of people would be interested in. But they had a little network of people that were interested in the holy club. Well, years later, those guys sprinkle out there in ministry and their hearts are dry as a bone. And it would be through some Moravians speaking about righteousness that comes by faith in Christ that one of the Wesleys would be like, whoa, I thought righteousness is what I did. Righteousness is by faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And he was converted as a minister. He came to faith in Christ as a minister. And then the other brother, not long after that, he too would come to faith in Christ. And the hymn was written with these lyrics in response to the conversion of faith in Christ. They would sing, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in Him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. You recognize those lyrics? And can it be? Two ministers who wouldn't be converted until they were in ministry and in their mid-twenties, almost 30 years old. So what's your conversion story? Do you have a story to tell where there was a time that I did not trust in the righteousness of Christ by faith, but I do now. That should be every Christian's testimony. It has to be every Christian's testimony by definition. But do you have a word to speak about that? Or are you one who has grown up in and around all these blessings and you know about Jesus, but you don't feel like you really know Him personally? Does your heart feel cold and distant? We want our people to know Christ. We want our people to know His Word. And God will warm that cold heart, that stony heart, and bring it to new life in Christ. The second thing the Apostle Paul says is this. To know Christ is to lose all things. To consider all things as loss or as rubbish. That is in the second part of verse 8. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of 
of faith. The Apostle Paul, listen to his statement, says he has lost all things, everything that he had, in order to know Christ. And he's not bitter about it. He's not angry about it. He's not sad about it. He says, all that stuff that I treasured was rubbish. It was garbage. So what did he have that he gave up, by the way? The young Paul, Saul at the time, prior to his conversion, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a part of the strictest, strictest pharisaical sects. He was a student of Gamaliel. He was a, what we would call a rising star. He was impressive. People esteemed him. People listened to him when he spoke. People valued him. They respected him. He was on a pedestal. And he says he lost it all. Now, why did he lose it all? He lost it all when the Lord Jesus confronted him and blinded him and changed his heart and renewed his will and made him to be a Christian. And everything he had embraced as a law-keeping, self-righteous person, he now saw that that was worthless. It was unrighteousness in the presence of a holy God. And all he could do was embrace this Rabbi Jesus who had been killed on a cross and raised from the dead. And all that academic scholarship that he had been a part of and all of the esteem and respect and value that it gave him now that whole crowd despised him, mocked him, rejected him, and he lost all of his worldly esteem. He lost all of his, of his worldly confidence in himself. It's like the, the rug had been taken out from under him. Everything he had built with his hand, so to speak, had collapsed. And you would think that would undo a man a gifted man who had achieved much in his day. But he looks at all of it and he says, it was all garbage. It was refuse. It was dung. It was manure. These are other ways that word is translated. It's dung. It's a dung heap. It's a pile of manure. It's garbage. It's rubbish. It also means the worthless scraps thrown to a dog. The word that Paul uses, those are all different uses of that garbage word. And he says, everything that I built, what the world loved me for, I see it as garbage. Have you had any experience like that in your life? Maybe where something you said is priority number one, focus number one, everything's committed to it, and somehow the Lord changed your circumstances, and those things meant nothing to you, in pursuit of Him. Some of you could tell that story. It may be professionally. It may be a track that you were on to pursue something. And God worked in your heart, gave you a new will. And you don't miss those aspirations or the acclamation that comes from it at all. Because something has supplanted your hope from worldly things to true righteousness. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says to lose all things to lose all things and to be despised and rejected for it. Another way to say this and to apply it to ourselves would be this. 
If those things were Paul's pseudo-righteousness, his false righteousness, what's your pseudo-righteousness? What's my pseudo-righteousness? What's the false righteousness, the pat on the back, the affirmation, the way we want to see our name up in lights or whatever it is? What's your pseudo-righteousness that you're pursuing? Or as Paul put it, what's the manure that you're grasping for at the cost of grasping the righteousness of Christ by faith? That feels kind of stark, doesn't it? Whoa, grasping manure. That's Paul's language. He says his whole life he had built on manure. And now he, because of faith in Christ, he sees it for what it is. And he doesn't miss it. You don't miss manure once you realize it's manure. So to lose all things for the sake of Christ. By the way, what did you sign up for when you became a Christian? What was your understanding of what you were in for? Was it that you would lose all things? I've heard the gospel preached and spoken of so many ways in 20 years when I was in campus ministry. I didn't hear a lot of talk about, are you ready to lose all things? It tended to be, are you ready to win the world? To be number one? To win a championship? To be a starter on a team? To get good grades? To become a doctor? For all your wildest dreams to come true. Some people have thought that's what Christ has called us to. Or we've thought, hey, prosperity, health, wealth... We share a crown with Jesus. I'm signing up for that, sitting on a throne with Jesus. The Apostle Paul reminds us, glory is to come, but in this life, are you prepared to lose all things that this world values and for you to be despised and rejected by the world? They'll applaud you when you live according to their glory, but cast that glory in and you'll be despised and rejected. Just as it said of Jesus, uh, the coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, He was despised and rejected of men. So it is for us. That's what we signed up for, whether you knew it or not. Glory is to come. But in this life, we're prepared to suffer and lose all things. John Piper, in an article called Count It All Loss, says this, Renouncing all, counting all as loss, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's not advanced discipleship. It's basic Christianity. This is confirmed in Jesus' words, Any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renouncing all we have is the same as counting everything as loss. This is what happens in conversion. You can't be a disciple without it. That's a bold statement. That's big, big news for some maybe hearing that for the first time. But that's biblical Christianity. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Jesus was despised and rejected and counted all things in this world lost, and so the Apostle Paul did, and so we are.
oh, but we love the world, and we love our stuff, and we love being patted on the back in the world. And Jesus says, consider it all loss. It's not what you signed up for. That's not what it is to follow him in this world. Thirdly and lastly, it says to know Christ is to be found in him. That is true righteousness. Listen again to verse 9. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is again making it clear, as he does throughout his writings, that righteousness is not of yourself. It is foreign to you. Righteousness is found by faith in another, in one particular other, and that is Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is calling us to, to truly know Christ and the righteousness that is found by Him in faith alone. That was the big deal for the Wesley brothers. They had looked to themselves and their methods in a holy club to be righteous people, to be good young men. And they were broken and crushed by the emptiness of that experience and had to be called outside of themselves to the only righteousness, which is by faith in Christ. And their lives and their ministry took off. They couldn't quit writing about it, preaching about it, singing about it. They wrote thousands of hymns about that righteousness by faith in Christ because they had been grasped by it once they let go of the manure of their holy club good works. Have you had that experience? Have you let go of the manure? Have you embraced Christ and said, there's been a heart change in me. The things I valued, I don't value the same anymore because I know Christ. And because I know Him, I see all things differently. Paul says he wants to know this resurrection power in verse 10. Paul had witnessed that resurrection power. Remember, Paul had experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul knew something powerful was at work. He'd seen it firsthand with the taking of his sight and the return of his sight. And Paul says, that resurrection power, I want to be near it. I don't want to be far from it. I want to be near it. I want to know Christ and that resurrection power. And then he says this, I want to participate. I want to share in Christ's sufferings. Whew. Wait a minute. He understood what kind of suffering Jesus had had. Stricken, smitten, afflicted, beaten, hung on a cross, put in a tomb. He says he wants to share in those sufferings. How can we soften the meaning of this so we feel good today when we go home for lunch? How can we do this quickly? Maybe he meant he wants to share those sufferings. He wants to share them with other people. 
Let me share with you the sufferings of Christ. That's not what he says. He says, I want to participate in them. I want to share in them. I want to suffer with the one who suffered for me for the reasons that he suffered in a sinful world. And so once again, what did you sign up for? There's something about the Christian that says, okay, I realize persecution's coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We live in a world that before long, it's going to call it hate speech to talk about conversion. Oh, no, wait, they're already doing it, right? Some of you thought of that when I read about conversion. Hate speech, it's coming. To tell anyone that they need to change or should change, hate speech. But we can't preach Christ without talking about conversion, about change, about transformation of the whole person, all of their passions, all of their pursuit being realigned and reoriented to serve the living God. That's what Jesus does when he converts people. That conversion, the transformation isn't all at once. It's a lifetime process. And we tend to kick and scream against it. But God is at work. He's changing his people. We'll talk about that next week. But to know Christ is to participate in his sufferings. Even as he suffered and was mocked and ridiculed, so will we be. What did you sign up for? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what we signed up for. And some of you are like, why is he harping on the persecution and the hardship? I like to be honest about what you signed up for, what I signed up for. Because if we're not ready for it, we'll be caught flat-footed and we will get knocked down and we won't be able to stand. But if we know as a church family and that all the families that make up this church, you'll be persecuted for faithfulness in the workplace. You'll be persecuted in all the parts of your life if you're faithful to Christ Jesus. As kind and sweet and loving as you are, you, you will be persecuted. It's coming. Jesus said so. And that persecution for us, boy, we really need to put it in perspective. We can have a bad day at work maybe not be able to sleep because of an email that we got or a comment that was made, and we feel so persecuted, right? I can feel that way. But if you read something like Voice of the Martyrs that keeps us up to date with real persecution in the, in the world, Christians losing their heads or their limbs or their children or their spouses because they won't deny their profession of faith. Now that's the kind of persecution I pray we never have. But we may. We don't know. So we, we suffer, and we're invited to participate in suffering for Christ. But, but let's not fool ourselves. There is a persecution that our states don't know. And we need to be praying for those who are experiencing the worst of the real persecution of the faith. And then lastly, Paul says, somehow in all this power of Christ and knowledge of Christ working in me, I want to somehow, he says, I don't know how, but somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead myself. Taking everything he knows to be true about Christ and his glorified state and saying, somehow, I don't know how, 
But that's going to be true for me. And that's going to be true for you if your faith is in Christ. And I just want to highlight this, that even the Apostle Paul is not presumptive in his speaking of ultimate salvation. He knows he is speaking of the mystery of God. And you hear it in what he says, somehow, it's a mystery to me, but somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so in conclusion, I would say this. As we consider what it is to know Christ, I did want to say some hard things. Do you just know about Him, or do you really know Him? And secondly, are you willing to lose all things? I'm such a nice guy, I would say, are you willing to lose some things? But the Scriptures say all things. Are you willing to lose all things and to consider them rubbish and loss compared to the overwhelming prospect of knowing Christ Jesus and His resurrection power, His glorifying you in the final state? That's what it is. Are you willing to see all things as manure? And maybe this morning you realized, I've gathered a lot of manure in my life, a lot of garbage, a lot of rubbish, and I've cherished it and treated it like treasured possessions but the only righteousness that stands the heat of God's judgment is Christ's righteousness which is received by faith alone Westminster Shorter Catechism number 86 beautiful little summary what is faith in Christ what is it to know Christ by faith faith in Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the gospel. And so I'll close with that. Are you, have you received and are you resting on Christ and His righteousness alone? Or have you gathered that manure? Have you treasured it? Have you thought, mm, I need my coworkers to think much of me and if, if they knew I was going to Bible study, then I'd start to lose credibility. If they knew that I went to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, uh, they wouldn't think so much of me. I might drop down a few rungs on their ladder. You're willing to lose all things. Be a member of Christ's church. To honor Him, live for Him, serve Him, raise your children for Him. Paul says we're called to lose all things. If we truly know Christ, we will willingly lose all things and then be found in Him with true righteousness that was not of ourselves. It was of Him all along. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6. through 6. Final word. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. To know him is to become like him. It's to grow in him. And that's next week's sermon. Come and join us again. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, that we might know you and not just know about you. That is my prayer. That is our prayer. Would you work in us by word and spirit? Would you even encourage us now in song 
that we would seek to live for Christ the Lord, who is our everything. We ask and we pray in his name. Amen.